in a word, how would you describe, if you could contain it in one word or in a classification, Nielsen and Young? Magnificent, inimitable, elegant, classic, unique, altogether memorable. Insight for Living travels to the land of the midnight sun, July 1st through the 8th, 2007. We have people on the cruise who are not in our group beg to come in when they hear those men playing. They got dual pianos, dual grand pianos. These men, from memory, hold you in rapt attention as they play for the glory of God all spectrum of music. Just two of the friends you'll make at the next Insight for Living cruise to Alaska, July 1st through the 8th, 2007. For more information, visit insight.org. The following Insight for Living podcast is made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. Insight for Living with Chuck Swindoll. I'm so thrilled with the Bible, how whenever God says, don't do this, he backs it up with, do that instead. God always matches a negative with a positive. He isn't some big bully saying, I want to see how miserable you can get. Swat, take that. Swat, don't do that. God says, swat, stop that, do this. I don't want that, I want this. And so it must be in our lives. When you take on something by the throat, something better must take its place. Well, you've chosen a milestone day to join us. Welcome to Insight for Living, featuring the final message in Chuck Swindoll's biographical study of Nehemiah. It's a classic series on life and leadership called Hand Me Another Brick. We're in the final chapter of Nehemiah's Old Testament book, chapter 13. It's here we're reminded that the most effective leaders don't cower in the face of opposition. In fact, they take a wise, discerning, and, and sometimes aggressive approach. Chuck Swindoll calls the final message in this series, Taking Problems by the Throat. If you will turn with me to the 13th chapter, you will come across four great problems that Nehemiah took by the throat. The first problem is revealed in verses 4 through 9, and it is the problem I would like to call the problem of a compromising companionship. While Nehemiah was gone, Eliashib had said, let's prepare a room for Tobiah. And so Eliashib said, let's clear out the area normally given to this uh, storage and let's provide a nice room for Tobiah. Let's bring him in. And he has been put out long enough. Nehemiah comes back and he finds the house of God infiltrated with Tobiah and his evil plans. What did he do? Verse 8 says, I threw all of Tobiah's household goods out of the room. Why did he do that? Because he was determined he would not live with wrong in a place that was built for right. The next problem is what I would call a financial fiasco. Verses 9 through 14. Nehemiah discovered something that was wrong, and he had looked carefully toward it. What did he find? Well, he found that the portions of the Levites had not been given to the Levites. 
so that the Levites and the singers who performed the service had gone away, each to his own field. What does that mean? Well, in those days, under the Jewish economy, there was a plan whereby the people who lived and served in the temple would draw their living from the temple. People who sang were supported by people who attended. People who ministered as the tribe of the Levites would derive from the giving, or I should say the paying of the tithe, their income. Nehemiah came and he found, you know, the singers and the Levites were living out in the suburbs. They belonged in the temple, deriving their income from the temple, but there was no income. He said, this is wrong. God requires in the law a paying of the tithe, and you're not doing it. And so he pulled together men who were the officials, and he said, why is the house of God forsaken? I gathered them together and restored them to their post. But there's a third problem. It begins in verse 15 and goes down through verse 22. It is a problem that I would like to call the secularized Sabbath. The secularized Sabbath. In those days, now Nehemiah here again is doing some investigating. He says, in those days I saw in Judah some who were treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in sacks of grain and loading them on donkeys as well as wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads. And they brought them into Jerusalem, he repeats, on the Sabbath day. Under the Jewish economy, the Sabbath was Saturday, the day of rest. And so what does he do about it? Does he simply pray? Does he passively say, my, we really need to do something about this, man? Well, look at what he does. He takes it by the throat. Verse 17, I reprimanded the nobles. And I said to them, what is the evil thing you were doing by profaning the Sabbath day? So as the sun began to go down, Nehemiah said, shut the gates. The Sabbath is coming. I commanded the doors to be shut, and they should not open them until after the Sabbath. Nehemiah said, don't come back on the Sabbath. Come back on Sunday. Saturday's the day we honor our God. My Christian friend, today there may be convictions God has given you. I'm not prepared to structure it for you. But if God has given you conviction in certain areas, you had best carry it out. You had best have the gristle that's necessary to say, no, I will not, or yes, I will continue. Because there will always be individuals who will want to change your standard to fit theirs. I'm saying to you, the answer is to take the problem by the throat. There is a fourth. Perhaps it hits harder than any of the other three or any of the four. By the way, I only say this. I have never experienced, nor have I ever known anyone, who unseated a deep-seated wrong without becoming sufficiently angry. Let me say it another way. I have never corrected anything in my life sufficiently until I have had enough anger to motivate me against it. We need to declare war against wrong. Now, Nehemiah does so in one other case. Verse 23, there is the case of domestic disobedience. 
We have seen a compromising companionship to begin with and a couple of other problems. And now we come to the problem of a financial fiasco, the problem of a secularized Sabbath, and now a domestic disobedience. In those days, I saw that the Jews had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. By the way, we need to do some intense thinking about intermarriage, don't we? And that's not the topic of this morning, though I know it is very explosive. Something to be said, however, for the fact that the Jews were to maintain a solidity in their marriage relationship. One of the reasons, besides just the maintenance of the Jew, was the results upon the children. Verse 24. Nehemiah is as concerned about the children as about those that were involved in it. As for their children, half spoke in the language of Ashdod, and none of them was able to speak the language of Judah. That's the language of the Scriptures, by the way. So they could glean nothing from the Scriptures. They only were able to speak the language of his own people. So he had a mixed multitude with intermingling of languages and customs. And what did he do? Verse 25. Are you ready? I contended with them. That was plan A. And then it says that he cursed them. It doesn't mean to speak with profanity. It means to, to, use, a, uh, to, to use disrespect or dishonor. That's the idea. It's a severe term. It's to treat with contempt, to revile. That's the word that's used. And then he says... I struck some of them. Wow. And I pulled out their hair. I thought, now wait a minute. You know, you know when you're going through the Hebrew and you get to curse, you can handle that. When you get to struck, you struggle a little to handle that. But you think, pulled out their hair. Wait a minute. So I did a little work on the words. And you know what the word means originally? To make bald. That's what the word means. <laughs> it means to make slick or polished. It's used mainly of the beard, plucking out part of the beard. And Nehemiah was yanking out hair in these people as he, you know, went along. Man, he's our leader. Look at what he's doing. Why did he do that? You think he took delight out of jerking out people's beards and pulling hair out of their head? I don't think so. Frankly, I think he was, he was so indignant against wrong. That he lost himself in the pursuit of right. That's a wonderful place to lose yourself. We are all so careful, so tender, so tactful, even counselors of our day. So careful not to hurt. That when wrong appears, and wrong is often at the heart, not always, often at the heart of a compounded, complex life. We're so afraid to say, you know something, you never did take care of that issue back then, did you? Or you know what, at the heart of the problem that you're wrestling with is selfishness. Nehemiah wasn't afraid to pluck out the hair for the sake of right. Nothing hurts quite like getting hair jerked out of your head, does it? Isn't it, isn't it true? Even the little ones know that to be true. Sure hurts. What do you think of a surgeon that says, you know, I've got an x-ray here, I've checked you over, there's a tumor in there, 
Why don't we leave it? I'm sure it's malignant. Why don't we leave it? What's the greatest compliment he can say to you? I'm concerned about it enough to put you under the knife. What do you say? Let's do it. And you know when a surgeon does that and you come out from under it and the tumor's removed and there seems to be no more evidence of malignancy, what do you say? Do you say, he hurt me? You don't say that. What do you say? <laughs> he brought about healing. Why? Because he took the tumor by the throat. That's why. And our lives skate along and glaze along with compromise and toleration. And we just hate the feeling of one hair being pulled out. And God says to you in the realm of your domestic life, this is wrong. Do something about it. Christian says, oh, you know, it's, it's a cultural thing. Back in the New Testament days, they, they handled a family one way, but it's not true today. Well, then how does God handle a family? People that depart from the Scripture are hard-pressed to give me a standard better than the scriptural standard. Your personal life is so important to God, He longs to maintain His control over the throne of your life. And infiltrated are all sorts of Tobias, financial selfishness. All those areas of rest God wants to give you, you fill up with worry and you secularize the spiritual Sabbath and by and by it begins to take effect on your home. And Nehemiah, after talking about Solomon, falls again in prayer and says, Remember me, my God, I have only their good at heart. I find a simple analysis as I look at the way Nehemiah took these problems by the throat. Here they are. Here's the analysis. Four simple steps. First, he faced the wrong head on. I've never known a wrong ever to be solved until it is admitted that it is a wrong. I found in this passage he learned, he discovered, he saw, he saw, he faced it head on. You have a problem in the realm of your home, face it head on. Don't skirt it. Sure, it will be painful. Deal with it. An area of your life that is compromising, deal with it. That's the second area. He dealt with it severely. That's the second thing. After seeing it as it really was, he dealt with it severely. You know, I'm sure some people said, man, Nehemiah, you're getting cranky. You used to smile a lot more than you do now. I'm not voting for you for governor next time. You know that old story. <laughs> and Nehemiah must have thought, I don't care. Our lives must not be politically swayed by the applause of the public. It's awfully hard in that area. No one knows that more than pastors, believe me. It's awfully hard to stand against wrong and not appear to be a cranky old man. But Nehemiah took it on severely. The third thing I find is that he worked toward a permanent correction. It's not enough just to condemn the wrong. There must be something to place to replace it. I'm so thrilled with the Bible how whenever God says, don't do this, he backs it up with, do that instead. God always matches a negative with a positive. He isn't some big bully saying, I want to see how miserable you can get. Swat, take that. Swat, don't do that. God says, swat, stop that. Do this. I don't want that. I want this. 
And so it must be in our lives. When you take on something by the throat, something better must take its place. Fourth, he always followed it up with prayer. When he did all that he could have done, he fell before God and says, Oh, God, bless every one of these efforts. Give me direction, more wisdom, more guidance. Remember me as I've done all I can to correct it. Now, having exposited the passage and analyzed it as far as correction is concerned, let me share with you three brief words of application, and I think they apply to every life here today, regardless of the depth of your hurt or problem or sin. First of all, dealing with any problem by the throat demands honest observation. Detection always precedes solution. You can never solve a problem that you cannot define. You must define it. It may be a compromising alliance that you have begun, maybe in your business, perhaps in your social life, maybe in your date life. Maybe you've let down the the bars of responsibility and conviction and you've begun to say, well, man, the picking is awfully slim. It's going to take its toll on you. Remember Samson walked so far from God that when God finally departed from him, he, he didn't even know it. The old King James says he wist not that God was gone. He didn't even know God had left. Honest observation is first. Second, this honest observation must be matched with a fearless conviction. Any person who determines to live a godly life is going to have to brace himself with fearless conviction. Some time ago, my son got involved with some kids that weren't really walking with the Lord. And though he wasn't too old at the time, he began to believe some of the things they were saying. And finally, he began to question, why do we do this, Dad? We're the only ones on the block that do this on Sunday. You heard that lately? Well, you go to church all the time, Dan. Of course, he didn't know that if he didn't go to church, he wouldn't eat. But, you know. (laughs) I said to him, Uh, Son, we love the Lord Jesus, and one of the best ways to develop a relationship with him is to be with his children. Yeah, but nobody else is around. I said, Son, let me tell you something. I don't care if another soul in Fullerton ever goes to church again. We're going. It's funny, he's never brought up the issue again. It's remarkable. And unbending conviction. I have a friend in Iran who, uh, Joel's his name, a missionary there, and I said, Joel, how come they never do have riots in Iran? You ever hear about street riots in Iran? You know, you can't remember that. Maybe maybe one, maybe two. Well, he said, Chuck, they did have one. And I said, really? Only one? Yeah, only one. What'd they do? Well, they mounted machine guns in the courthouse. They did? What'd they do? Well, they shot them down, but the dozen. They did? Yeah. But he said, you know, funny thing, they never have another riot. That's not the American way. Tolerate it. Let it go. You know, everybody's own thing. And Christian conviction is gone. I'm not saying you never bend. I'm not saying you never are tolerant. 
Or you never give in in certain situations. But I'm saying, by and large, it is the responsibility of the mature Christian to set his sights and to hang in there in spite of those that don't agree. And you will never be popular if you do that. Especially with those that don't like the cadence you're calling. Joshua said, choose whoever you may wish. As for me and my house, we're serving the Lord. And he didn't say, would you like to talk about that? He says, that's it. Third, honest observation and fearless conviction must be tempered with deep devotion. And that's where many fundamentalists miss it. Right there. They become spiritual headhunters. Negative, angry, sin-lurking Christians. That is, looking for those sins. And the joy of the Lord is gone. I think Nehemiah, when he laid down at night, and I don't have any scripture for it, so it's a terrible thing to suggest, but I think he might have chuckled a little bit, you know, knowing that he had dealt with it with all he could, I mean, with all the mighty head, laid down at night and just thought, man, what a scene that was today. You know, you ever have that feeling? You've done what's right. And then you get on it with it. Now listen. Your problem is not the problem of Beethoven. Though I want you to know that your gifts may be just as great. Until you determine to take life by the throat and deal with wrong that is wrong in your life, there will be a slow erosion of sin like Beethoven fought with the erosion of sound until he became deaf, silenced forever. Well, with this final message in the series called Hand Me Another Brick, you're listening to Chuck Swindoll and Insight for Living. He's here in the studio to conclude our time in just a moment. We don't want you to miss out on the application and prayer. But first, with the final day in this series, we know that you'll want to contact Insight for Living to ask about copies of the CD messages or perhaps the Bible companion that complements our study. Both are called Hand Me Another Brick. And both can be found online at insight.org. Even though the bookstores are teeming with books and resources on success in the workplace, Nothing trumps a study of Nehemiah's life. We hope you'll decide to lead your staff in a study of Hand Me Another Brick. Again, go to insight.org. You can also call us right now at 1-800-772-8888. Any leader who wants to have an impact, as Nehemiah did, must become a person of character. We're not born with integrity. It's something that's forged on the anvil of life and refined by a God who loves us. Well, Chuck Swindoll has written an exciting new book called Strength of Character. And with your donation to Insight for Living, you're invited to request a copy. It comes with our sincere thanks for your gift. You'll appreciate reading Chuck's book, and when you're done, you'll want to share it with a friend. It's also a suitable gift for a student, perhaps a son or a daughter. Again, that's the book Strength of Character by Chuck Swindoll. Yours when you give a donation toward the daily ministry of Insight for Living on your station. So write Insight for Living, Box 269000, Plano, Texas, 75026. 
Again, that's Box 269000, Plano, Texas, 75026. Or call us right now, 1-800-772-8888. Well, Chuck, it's been an exciting study together, looking at all 13 chapters of Nehemiah. And it's fitting that we spend these last few minutes asking God to help us apply what we've learned. I'd like you to bow now as we uh, consider what we have heard today and prepare ourselves for just a few extra moments of thought and prayer. Let me remind you of these principles we've gone over today. Dealing with problems begins with honest observation. I want you to do that. You cannot solve any problem you haven't identified and even admitted. So go there first. Let's deal with what we would call a problem in our lives, something that's distanced us from our God. And that next principle you'll remember, correcting what is honestly observed demands a fearless conviction. Remember Nehemiah's model? You and I would both agree we call that fearless. I ask you to do the same within yourself. Don't be intimidated by the odds that stand against you. Long-standing problems, long-standing habits have no reason to continue, not if there is strong conviction applied. Let's go there. And finally, honest observations and fearless conviction must be tempered by consistent devotion. Again and again, Nehemiah prayed, Again and again, he came back to his knees, and that's where we are now. And so today, let me say to you who are without Christ that the major problem in your life is that very statement, you are without Christ. That means you are without hope, hope to find solution in this life and hope to get beyond the greatest challenge in all of life, and that is the grave. Beyond the grave, there is no hope. But with Christ, you have answers for now and you have hope for later. So trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn to him. There's assurance there. There's security there. He calls himself the good shepherd. He is the one who opens the door and allows you to come in. All you need to do is knock by faith and take Christ You'll be a part of his family. Our Father, today we do remember those who've never come to know your Son, and we pray for them. Ask that you would bring them to the cross and prompt them to realize that nothing within themselves will cause you favor, only a relationship with your Son. And remind us all, our Father, in the midst of the struggles and obstacles and anxieties of life, that we cannot handle this on our own. This is your work. You are a specialist in times like these. So we turn to you like Nehemiah did and ask for courage, for conviction, for guts to address what is and then by your grace to turn from it and to know a victory we've not known before, perhaps for a long, long time. We claim this today and we trust you for the outcome. In the name of our Savior, Jesus, our Lord. Amen.
Resources are available at insight.org. Monday, Chuck Swindoll launches a brand new mini-series, Life Lessons Just for Men, on Insight for Living. Remember, Insight for Living is a listener-supported ministry. To find out more about our monthly partners program or to donate online, visit us at insight.org. That's insight.org. This podcast may not be reproduced, duplicated, or transmitted without written consent. Copyright 1974, Charles R. Swindoll, Incorporated, presented 2007.